Well, I'm thankful that the Lord God is here. And I greet you in his name. I appreciated the way you read chapter 40 of Isaiah with expression. When I look at the book of Isaiah, I uh, often turn to chapter 40. And I like to see Isaiah, and maybe you heard me say this before, that chapter 40 is like uh, the beginning of the New Testament in Isaiah. It's like the first 39 chapters in Isaiah is the Old Testament, and the last from 40 to the end is like the New Testament of the book. And it starts with, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. And that's exactly how John the Baptist started his ministry. And uh, it was all about repentance. And Isaiah gets into that. Verses 3 and 4 speak of repentance. And then verse 9, behold your God. And then verse 11, the verse that I'm kind of pulling out as the text for this morning's message is talking about our shepherd and his flock. And his flock is here today in all different stages of life. So thank you for that scripture, and uh, I started by saying I'm thankful that the Lord God is here. And the first song that we sang uh, talked about the Holy Spirit being here with us. And I trust that we will each experience the Holy Spirit's presence today and that we will allow him to minister to us. So I'm thankful to be here again this morning. Rosemary and I were missing the last two Sundays. We were attending a friend's wedding in Florida and then one of those Sundays, we uh, attended the tourist church there in Sarasota or in Pinecraft. <clears throat> and they were having a week of evangelistic meetings. And the theme for that week was on the Good Shepherd. And from that came the inspiration for the message here today. <clears throat> I will just add a note of interest. Um, we had nice weather in Florida. And the morning that we went to the tourist church, can you imagine that many people were showing up that they had to go to the door and tell them there's no more room. And uh, the ushers had done a count 
and if I had it right, there was 320 people in that building. Um, Mennonites and Beaches and um, some other groups that I guess I'm not mentioning, all together and singing. Very, very good experience for us last Sunday. So the inspiration uh, or the message today, verse 11 of Isaiah 40, he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and gather them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. And the terms shepherd, sheep, and lamb, and lambs, is, uh, I was told, I picked it up um, with Delmar Bontrager's preaching, is used over 300 times in the Bible. So the question today is, what can we learn about the heart of God in relation to lambs? We could talk about the shepherd. We could talk about sheep. All we like sheep have gone astray, and every one of us have turned to our own way. We could talk about the shepherd, which I may do some throughout the message, but I'd like to focus on the lambs. There's many lambs here today. Figuratively speaking. And there's many sheep here today also. So what can we learn about the heart of God in relation to lambs? And I invite you to turn for the first scripture to Mark 10. And I'll be reading verses 13 through 16. And you'll recognize this scripture uh, quite quickly as I start reading in Mark 10, 13. And they, the disciples, brought young children or they, I think it's referring to uh, the, the crowd, the people, brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. Then there's a scripture in Matthew 18, verse 6, that says, But whosoever offends one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone be hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. So what is the heart of God? I believe we see tenderness. We see love. 
and we see care just in his teaching. Whosoever offends, I believe, a neglected or an abused child, you could say it would be an offended child. So does God care? I think we can see that he does deeply care. And I think one of the saddest, most grievous things on earth is that of a child who is robbed of his potential faith in God because of a perpetrator or because of the selfishness of another person. So God deeply cares. Our shepherd deeply cares about children's well-being. Our shepherd has a special spot in his heart for the little ones, is what I'm seeing here. But according to Isaiah 40:11, not only in the little ones, but also the mothers carrying the young. Every one of us adults, every believer in God's flock, was one day a little one. One day we were little, and we needed nourishment and assistance. And even as we grew older, we needed someone to lead us. We needed a shepherd. And we have a good shepherd. God has a special place in his heart for the nursing mother, the baby that's being held and nurtured and given life. That little life is an image of God himself. God cares about the little ones is the point. And another point is that it's important to the shepherd what we do with our little ones. The ones that are lambs today, that someday you could say will be pastors, fathers, teachers, and parents. So our shepherd has a heart for those that are leading the little ones today. According to Isaiah 40:11, we have a shepherd that has a heart for the flock. And what I was noticing is especially the little ones. I believe our nation will pay a bitter price for aborting or murdering or killing the little ones. Little lives are being snuffed out that were never allowed to see the light of day. 
I heard figures like over 130,000 babies per year in America here are being murdered. But we see that God has a special place for the little ones. They carry his image. It's It's the fruit. It's I'm not sure if I have even the right word for it. It's reproduction of life. And God has a special place in his heart for the little ones. I don't believe there's a sin that will receive more harsh judgment from the shepherd of our souls than the taking the life of an unborn child. Our society today wants the pleasure of having a loose morality without the responsibility of caring for the lambs. That's what it boils down to. And I'm thankful that we have we have a blessing on the little ones, on many children here in this congregation. The next scripture I thought we'd look at is in Psalm 127, and you can turn there with me. And I'll just read this psalm. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. So I notice that not only does our shepherd have a high value on little ones, but he wants us to see that it's a gift for us to have children. Children are a gift from the Lord. So when you look at your child, what do you see? And I picked this up in somebody's writing. A nerve-shattering machine or a heritage from the Lord? A house wrecker or a heritage from the Lord? A workmaker or a heritage from the Lord? When you look at your child, is your child a source of embarrassment in front of your friends or a heritage from the Lord? 
Are your children competitors for your spouse's attention or a heritage from the Lord? I believe children are a gift. And we do well to thank the Lord for the gift of life and children. Now I'm going to transition a little bit in the message here with this statement that children are a sacred trust from God and we may not spare any effort to expose them to the knowledge of their creator. And I'll say that again. Children are a sacred trust from God and we may not spare any effort to expose them to the knowledge of their creator. So children come but they don't realize maybe how precious they are in the sight of God unless we tell them, unless we point them to their creator. So from little up, uh, can you see the responsibility that we who received a gift from God, our children, is to somehow help them know about God, their creator. So I have, um, I said that my attention would be on the little ones. And I have entitled uh, the message, The Shepherd Caring for the Lambs. So while he cares for the lambs, we need to understand as parents that he gives these children to us as gifts. And it's a sacred trust from God. So I have a word for the parents. Now, you know, earlier I said that Isaiah 40 is... really, uh, verse 11, kind of like the flock in different stages. And I'm thinking that way this morning. Uh, we have young people in the front here. We have grandparents. We have parents. And we have a lot of little lambs or children. So wherever, okay, what I'm trying to say, I guess, is the parents don't tune out uh, the grandparents don't tune out because our our work continues even though our children are grown and then have children or little lambs. So don't tune out because these are all things that we can help in the teaching uh, of the lambs in our congregation. So the first, I have four points, and it's a word to parents. Instruct your children. The second one is be a good example to your children. The third one is discipline your children. And the fourth one is pray for your children. So some of these apply to really all of us. 
and some, of course, directly to parents. So instruct your children. We could turn to Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7, where it says that we're to teach diligently. And I just want to pull that one word out. Diligently. That calls for constant attention. So what are we to instruct our children? I would have already alluded to one, and that is have them realize from little up or as they grow that they are a creation of God and they are a gift to your family. Then I have five things that we should teach our children. Teach the glorious character of God. In other words, make him, make him inviting. Magnify him. The character of God is, is amazing. And you can go in all directions with that. He's good. He's honest. He's loving. He's a good God. So teach the glorious character of God. Also teach the Ten Commandments or teach the requirements of his holy law. From little up, I think our lambs need to know that there's, there's law. There's, there are boundaries. And when we violate or rebel, there's consequences. So teach the requirements of the law. Don't miss teaching the exceeding sinfulness of sin. So teach your little ones from little up that sin is a bad thing. And then along with that, teach the wondrous gift of his son, Jesus. And then teach the fearful end of all who despise and reject him. So when I considered what we're to instruct our children with constantly, diligently, teach the character of God, teach the law, teach the sinfulness of sin and the wondrous gift of Jesus providing salvation for us. And teach with diligence the fearful end of all who despise and reject him. Ephesians 6, 4 particularly addresses the fathers, the head of the family. So I would just encourage us uh, somehow, maybe we could each ask ourselves a question. How's our daily worship time going with our family? And I was challenged recently with uh, the idea that when you have daily worship with your family, with your children, ask questions and expect them to answer. 
And it doesn't need to be just when you're having your family devotions or worship time. Maybe around the table, just ask questions and have them answer. So that's the first uh, word that I have to parents here this morning. Instruct your children. The second one is be a good example. So we're not only to instruct our children, and we won't be spending much time here to make this point. We're not only to instruct our children in the ways of holiness, but maybe you even guess what's next. We need to walk that holiness way. We need to walk before them. More is caught than taught. Show them by practice that it's pleasant to serve God. It's, it's joy. It's peace. Show them by example that keeping the Sabbath day is a pleasure. And there's other, other things that we could include here. You know that if we gripe about, about the weather all their growing up days, they'll probably gripe about the weather. What about change plans? How do we handle that? Are we an example to our children? Maybe there's one point yet that I could bring out here, and that is there is a spiritual element to maintaining the sanctity of the home that's often not understood. If the father is not living a morally pure life, he cannot provide an umbrella of protection for his family. We have scripture that we could turn to that eludes that God will not hear the prayer of an impure leader. So that's an encouragement to lead your little ones with a pure heart, especially the fathers. And then Colossians 3.21 talks about fathers not provoking your children to anger lest they be discouraged. <clears throat> and that takes me to the third point. First, instruct your children. The second, be a good example to them. And third, discipline your children. So instruction and example are good, but they're to be enforced by correction and discipline. This calls for the exercise of authority. And I noticed in Genesis 18:19 what God said about Abraham. He said, "For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him." I believe it's clear 
that a child is responsible to his parents to obey them in all things. And somehow God has put the father in authority over the children. We could turn to scriptures like Colossians 3.20 says, Children, obey your parents in all things. So now, <clears throat> I just have some things that I felt led to bring here today. Parents should be firm and children should learn prompt obedience. I believe one of the greatest needs of a child's heart is for the child to learn obedience. Our children are born into the world with hearts that are soft and innocent, but they have a selfish sin nature that needs to be dealt with. And dealing with this selfishness, and I'll add to that foolishness, becomes the responsibility of parents to teach and train. In other words, that's just how children come. They come selfishness with selfishness and foolishness. So it's in these formative years that I can't think of anything more important for that two-year-old is than learning obedience. And may I suggest that learning obedience is more important than understanding why. A two-year-old just needs to learn obedience. And I, I was reading about this, and I agree 100% with the statement that obedience to authority is the very foundation of character. The Proverbs writer says, My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. They shall be an ornament of grace to thy head, and chains about thy neck. Proverbs 13.1 teaches that those who listen to their parents gain wisdom. A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a mocker does not respond to rebukes. The Bible says that children who are not disciplined or who fail to obey their parents are much worse off in life. And I won't turn to Proverbs 22.15, Proverbs 19.18, and Proverbs 29, 15 all bring that out, that children who are not disciplined and who fail to obey their parents are much worse off in life. One of those verses, I think, says, a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. So, if we could just grasp that point and 
embrace it, I guess. Children who are self-willed not only bring not only bring themselves into perpetual unhappiness, but they also make it uncomfortable for the people around them. A self-willed child. And I'll bring in the age that I think is so crucial, and that is that a two-year-old learns just to obey. I mentioned earlier that our children need to obey even when they don't understand why. And uh, we haven't, we have yet to see a toddler that understands why he has to be in a car seat. Maybe they don't understand, but they need to learn to submit, surrender, and obey to that. So, maybe to move on with this thought about discipline your lambs, your little ones, is that it's of vital importance that your little ones be brought into subjection at an early age. Any offense of a child against the authority of the home, and I include with this any offense of a child against the authority in, in their life, any talking back, any any uh, expressions of not accepting the authority over them should immediately be dealt with. And how do we deal with it? And now I think I'm just going to share some, some scripture and some instruction that I believe has come under uh, attack in this generation. This part of child training has really come under attack. Maybe this isn't the first generation that that has come under attack, but I, I see a, a difference maybe in the in the last, you could say, 50 years of the practice of child training. So I'm going to read some scripture. Proverbs 22.15 says that foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Then there's another scripture that I wanted to turn to Proverbs 23, 13 and 14. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. 
Thou shalt beat him with the rod, and shalt deliver his soul from hell. Pretty clear language. Almost you want to take the word beat out and put another word there, which I'm really curious. I didn't check what other versions would would put there. But it's pretty clear language that the method of of punishment or uh, yeah that the method of correction is the spanking proverbs 13:24 he that spareth the rod hateth his son but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes Proverbs 19.18, Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. God loves his children with a much deeper parental, parental affection than we can. Yet he tells us that's the way to correct them. That's the way to uh, discipline them. So that's um, I just I just felt again like God was wanting me to to share that. And the fourth point, now we looked at um, instructing your children and being a good example and disciplining your children and the. The last point here is that we should be praying for our children. Instruct, be an example, discipline, and pray. And uh, I was challenged already that this doesn't stop. When our children leave the home, if anything, we grandparents should be praying for not only our children, but our grandchildren. And consider it a privilege that we have to lay hold of the promises, and especially the promise that an effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It's said of Job that concerning his sons and daughters, that he rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them. So what do we pray for? We pray for ordinary needs. Uh, Pray with your grandchildren. Pray with your children about their report cards and their friends and their health. I remember as a little boy... uh, laying on the couch, sick one day. And my grandpa stopped in, and he laid his hand on my stomach and prayed. And I got better. But why do I remember that? Because it left an impression on me that I had a loving grandfather. So pray for their salvation, their spiritual growth, And pray for them by name. I think that's 
something that your children will remember and appreciate if you can mention their names and pray for them. First Samuel twelve twenty three. I, I found something interesting here. First Samuel twelve twenty three, when Samuel was retiring from being Israel's spiritual leader, the people came to him and begged him to keep on praying for them. And Samuel answered this way, he said, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Uh, look it up, it's, it's uh, encouraging scripture, encouraging parents and grandparents to never stop praying for your offspring. Well, I'm going to close with um, maybe a little illustration. And I don't know if I gave this illustration some years ago when I uh, shared about family worship and family time. But there was this, uh, there was this family of geese that lived in somebody's backyard. And the people were noticing that whenever these geese went somewhere, it was always the father or the gander that was first. And all the little goslings were just following him. But behind them was the mother goose. And her, her eyes were just going like this all the time, looking around as she was following. I'd like to leave that picture here with us today. Fathers, lead. Take responsibility for your lambs, the little ones. Be an under-shepherd to them. And mothers, be watchful and protect and care for the little lambs. The responsibility is bigger than we are, but let's be encouraged with the promise that if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. And God never scolds us for coming to him and asking for wisdom. Well, thank you for your attention, and somehow maybe this gives us a little window of that we have a shepherd that really cares for the little ones, and we as parents have the responsibility. We're entrusted with this gift. And it brings lots of joy and pleasure when we see our children following the shepherd. I'm going to invite you to kneel with me in prayer.